Thank you very much. You can be seated. I know you're ready to help me with the sermon. I need your help. I need six or seven volunteers very quickly to come and join me on the stage for the first four or five minutes of my sermon. You won't have to talk. I'll just introduce you. You'll have to say your name and so on, but but, uh, you don't have to make a speech. But I need some volunteers. I need a grandparent to come on up here. He'll be my grandparent real quick. All right, if you don't, I'm going to start picking on you. I'm going to choose you. Grandparent. All right, come on up, grandparent. I need, uh, I need a, a parent uh, who still has uh, children at home to come on up, okay? A parent with children at home. Come on up. All right, I'm getting all kinds of volunteers. Grandparent, parent with children who are grown. You're a grandparent too. Come on up. Come on up. More than Mary. Come on up. Children at home. I need a, I need a young adult. Um, in your 20s maybe, or a college student, you're not married, you don't have kids, who will be my co- And I need a teenager. I need a teenager. One of you teenagers, come on up. I need a teenager. Who's my young adult, my college? All right, all right come on up. i got two of you all. Come on up. I need a t- Who's my teenager? I need a teenager. Don't be bashful. I'm going to draft you. I'm going to draft you. All right, come on up, guys. Oh, i got plenty of them. All right. Let's move right on over. Let's get from, uh, I won't make the, the ladies say this, but you're, come here, you're older than him. All right, Jan, I'm going to let you get next to Tom over there, right there. There you go. There you go. Come on up. Crowd on in here. Crowd on in here. Now, lastly, right on over a little bit more. I need, I need somebody in maybe the second grade, third grade, fourth. Come on up, beautiful. Come on up here. Come on up. You're right over here beside this handsome young guy. All right, come on up, sweetie. I got two of them. Can we crowd in a little bit more? Uh, you're doing good. You're doing good. Right here on the end. Now, hey, would you give a hand to all my bottom? Thank you all so much for coming up. Yeah. We, we've been talking about growth. And this is part three of a four-part series on, on growth. And one of the things we said is that growing in our relationship with Christ, spiritual growth, and is has some similarities to our development as as human beings. Now, all of these beautiful people started out like the infants over in our nursery right now. And then they started growing. How old are you? Fourth grade? How old are you? Nine. How old are you, sweetie? Eight and nine. How old are you? Thirteen? Thirteen. Thirteen? All right. One day you will be that age, and it will happen sooner than you ever realize. But you started out as a baby. How old are you, beautiful? 17. And you, beautiful? 17, 17, 17, 19. You're going to be as old as these ladies one day. You know that? It's just going to happen, isn't it? Now, let me ask you a question. You all are teenagers. You're 19, so you're in college. Where do you go to school? USC. All right. Gamecock, huh? All right. Yeah. Uh, I won't say anything. Uh, No. They played well last night. They really did. Um, what would you all say is the difference between where you are now and here? Any difference? Well, let's back it up. If I had a baby up here, what's the difference between a baby and these eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds? Both of these are, you know, both of these are dependent on their parents. An infant's dependent on their parent. But can you feed yourself? Do you know how to eat? Yes. Can you can you dress yourself? But babies need their parents to feed them, to dress them. Now, one of the things when you get to be teenagers and so on is you develop a lot more independence. Your parents let you do more. But 
you still have to, they still boss you around some, right? You're not totally free. Is there something you want to do they won't let you do? Can we talk to them about it? What, what you got anything in particular in mind? No. But you have a lot more freedom than these do. And I bet you're thinking about where you're going to go to college. I bet you're probably thinking about what you want to do after you get out of college. How you want to spend your life, right? They're thinking about some things you were thinking about uh, two or three years ago. And you, have you decided what your major is? What is it? Marketing and management. Marketing and management. Woo. Sounds like fun. What do you want to do? Do you know yet? Have no idea? You'll get there. It'll come. It'll come. It'll come. It's a process. It's a process. How old are you? 21. 21. What do you do? Uh, college student. College student? Where at? Winthrop. Winthrop. You know, what's your major? History. History. What are you going to do with that? Teacher, maybe? I hope you know. <laughs> You'll figure it out, too. You're married. How many beautiful kids? Two. Two. And your wife was up there playing the violin earlier? Yes. Yeah? Two kids? Is your life busy? Very. How's your life different now than when you were his age and single? Full-time dad. Full-time dad. Full-time husband. Full-time husband. Full-time work. Full-time Let me ask you, is there anything, is your thinking today different than when you were the age of these two? Definitely. How so? Wide open. Wide open. All right. So, Things change. You have a lot more responsibility, right? A lot more freedom at this age. One of the risks, you see, one of the joys of your age is you've got all this stuff in front of you, decisions to make, and it's a blast. But there's risk also because you can make bad choices. You can do that at any age. But at your age, you could do some things that, you know, will follow you the rest of your life. You could develop some habits, good habits or bad habits, that could set the direction of your life. Now, then here we have grandparents. How many grandbabies? One. One. You got so much to look forward to as more come. Aren't they a blast? Um, all the grandparents wave. They're better than kids. They're really good. I mean, they really, they really are. So y'all have so much to look forward to. Nothing like a grandbaby. But he's focused on making a living and raising his kids. And sometimes as grandparents, you look at life a little bit differently, Right? What's the difference between a grandparent and a parent? Is there a difference? When they cry, you give them back. <laughs> <laughs> you can give them back. But you know one thing that happens when you get to be this age? See, while down here on this side, you're thinking a lot about what you want and what you want to become and what you want to do. When you're this age, you're thinking about how do you take care of what you have. And when you're here, you start thinking a little bit bigger picture. What are you going to do? What are you going to pass on? What are you going to leave behind to your grandkids? To you? how are you going to how are you going to help them become? You're not just taking care of, but you're thinking, what's the impact going to be after you're gone? You're enjoying it, but you're investing, and your thoughts are less about what you want and more about the investment you want to make on this end. Whereas on this end, it's what I want to do next. What fun I want to have. Here, how am I going to chart my future? Okay. By the way, there's a good workshop coming up in three weeks to help you figure that out here called uh, Discover. Okay, really good for you. Here, you're in the midst of figuring it out. Here, you're trying to survive. (laughs) It's fun and it's survival mode. And here is the blessing and the joy of reaching this level 
of life. Now, what I want to do in just a moment is I want to illustrate for you how this impacts spiritual growth in your walk with Jesus. Because you said you're eight, you're nine, you're 17. You will become 17 whether you want to or not. It'll just happen. You will become 22, I won't ask, whether you want. It'll just happen. Because time means that we grow physically and we get older. But your spiritual growth, your walk with Jesus, has very little to do with how long you live. Has very little to do with how long you've been a Christian. The longer you're a Christian, you have opportunity to grow. But length of time, how long you've been saved, doesn't guarantee you're growing or you'll ever reach this spiritually. There's other factors involved. There are people in this room who've been Christians for decades and they're still over here spiritually. There are people in this room who've been Christians for 20 years and they're teenagers. There are people in this room who've been Christians for 10 years that spiritually, they're grandparents. Because this, it has less to do with time than other factors. Thank you all. You can have a seat. Say thank you to them for me. That's one of the things I want you to really get in your mind is there are specific things you have to do if you're going to grow in your relationship with Christ. It's not just about how long you've been saved. We've said that God's Word, Bible study, is food that feeds us spiritually, and you can't grow without that. But just because you're learning more Bible does not mean you're growing in your relationship with Christ. Spiritual growth means I'm taking the Word of God, that food, that spiritual food, and I'm putting it into practice. I'm doing something with it. Because if I'm not practicing it, I'm not growing, even if I can quote it, even if I study it, even if I read it. And that the best environment or context for spiritual growth is in relationships because the only way I can take what God says about forgiveness, about patience, about kindness, and put that into practice and therefore develop as someone who's able to forgive, grow as someone who's able to be kind, develop spiritually as someone who is able to be patient. The only way I can do that is to be in relationships with people, relationships at home, at church, in the community of believers. And if you isolate yourself from relationships and taking God's Word and applying it to the kind of person you are and how you relate to people and how you deal with people, you're not growing. You can read the Bible every day. You can quote it backward and forward, but if it's not impacting how you are in the context of community in relationships, it's not growth. We've also said that growth is fluid, that while there's to be an upward trajectory, it's not a straight arrow, that there are dips that sometimes we, we mess up, we have little dips, but the trajectory is to, is to be upward, 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 kind of like this, but it's always going up. That's what spiritual growth is. Now, this morning I want you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 5, one of the most important passages in the New Testament when it comes to this issue of spiritual growth. Last Sunday, we looked at the fact that when you grow spiritually, your character changes. In 2 Peter chapter 1, how you add to your faith these different qualities that were demonstrated in the life of Christ. And so you change as a person. Your character develops as a follower of Jesus. Now, very important passage. And it starts out kind of negatively. 
then it turns more positive. So let's see what he says here in Hebrews chapter 5 about Christian growth. Starting at verse 11, he said, concerning him, talking about Jesus, we have much to say. He said, there's a whole lot more we want to teach you about Jesus Christ, but there's a problem. He says, it's hard to explain, not because it's difficult to understand. He says, it's hard for me to tell you more about Jesus because you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Some Bibles will translate that as sluggish or too lazy to understand or no longer trying to understand. The, The Greek word translated dull means to be lazy, to not put forward much effort. And he says the problem is that too many of us who are followers of Christ, when it comes to really listening and learning and understanding the things of God, we're pretty lazy. We don't want to work at it. We don't want to make the effort to to put forward the effort, and that's why we're dull of hearing. We can't really hear what God's trying to teach us because we've gotten spiritually lazy, and we've just kind of settled in with where we are, and we're okay with it. Now, all of us have those moments when we get a little bit lazy, when we're not as not as determined as at other moments in life. But again, that trajectory is to be upward. This past week when I was on study retreat, one morning while I was uh, reading Scripture and praying, God really convicted me. I mean, the Holy Spirit just got a hold of me and convicted me, and I had a really intense prayer time of repentance. And, and it'll seem so simple, but, it was, but it's really important because for years, for years in my walk with Christ, I would journal. When I would read scripture, when I would pray, I would journal. And I would, I would, you know, God would speak to me and I'd write it down. I'd write out prayers. I'd just talk to God in writing. And it really crystallized things for me and helped me capture what God was trying to say to me and make decisions about things. But I gradually got out of the habit of doing that. And so for the past few years, I haven't been journaling. And I was reading scripture and it's like the Holy Spirit just reached down and, you know, bump, 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 bump on both sides of the face really, really hard. Because I started thinking that all those times God has said something to me and then I forgot about it. Have you ever had a thought, man, I need to do this or that would be really good or God is telling me this and you thought, wow, that's great. Then you got distracted and busy and the next thing you know you'd forgotten what God had said. Anybody ever been there? And I thought, I've missed out on so many things God was trying to teach me and and guidance he wanted to give me in decision making because I didn't capture what he was really saying. And so I went out and bought me a new journal and started journaling again because one of the things I remember God reminded me of is that the spiritual discipline of journaling when I was praying and reading Scripture, I was able to put in writing what God was saying. And sometimes when it was unclear, the more I would write, it would eventually become clear. And I would capture it, and because I had it in writing, I could go back and look at it, and I followed through on a lot more things that God was saying to me. And so spiritual growth is not always like this. Sometimes we're making really strong effort and we grow fast. And then for whatever reason, we stop doing something. We get out of the habit of something and we take a little dip. And we become a little bit more dull of hearing. We don't listen as well. And God has to get our attention to get us going. Again, because that's how spiritual growth works. But now notice what he says here in Hebrews chapter 5. He said, I want to tell you more, but it's hard because you're dull of hearing. You're kind of lazy. You're not really putting effort into doing what you need to do to maximize your spiritual growth. Verse 12, he said, by this time you ought to be teachers. You ought to be able to help someone else. That's not just teaching the Word of God. It's helping someone else know how to live it, how to put it into practice. He said, but now you ought to be 
someone who's helping others grow spiritually, helping them develop in their relationship with Christ. But there's a problem. There's a problem. You still need someone to teach you. Rather than you being someone who's helping other Christians mature, you still need somebody to help you mature. Even though you've been saved long enough to be able to invest in others, you're, you're, still, you're still over here. It's like you're still on this side of the stage. You're still an infant or you're still a child who needs your parents to do things for you spiritually. You've not moved to being a teenager. You've not moved to being a, a, a young parent. You've not moved to being a, a grandparent that's investing in others, that thinking beyond. You, you, you're, you're still stuck over there. You've been saved long enough to be on this side of the stage. But for whatever reason, you're still over here. And he says it's time to grow up. It's it's not just about getting older. It's about growing up spiritually, growing up in Christ, growing up in our walk with Jesus Christ. Now notice he says, you've been saved long enough to be a teacher, but you still need someone to teach you the elementary or basic principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. He said you still need the basics. He talks about milk and solid food, infants and mature. Babies start out on milk, and then they move to this yucky stuff, baby food. I'm glad babies like it. Carrots. It's not good. But this is what we feed babies. And he says in the Christian life, there's some some baby food. There's some elementary stuff. It's, It's the milk. It's this. Maybe, you know, they get a little bit older, they, they, they reach four or five and start feeding themselves a little. They make a mess, but they, they're able to do it. You know, kids' favorite food that, that some never outgrow, mac and cheese. And a, and a mom's favorite food when she's busy, chicken nuggets. I mean, some of you wouldn't know how to cook if it wasn't for mac and cheese and chicken nuggets, would you? And babies and, and kids, they, 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 four or five years, they eat, they use their fingers, they use the spoon, the fork, and they get it everywhere, but they're able to feed themselves. Now, some of you who've been Christians, and you've been coming to church for 20 years, you've been coming to church for 30 years, but you're still, doing, you're, you're still here. You're, you're still here. The elementary principles, the basics, the baby food, the infant food, not the solid food of the mature. The solid, uh, you teenagers, you know, you can't have a youth event at church without pizza. By the way, this is the pizza, this is the best pizza on God's green earth. This is from the ultimate California pizza. It is Thai chicken. It is to die for. It's so good. When I came back from the beach this, this week, I brought two large Thai chicken pizzas. It beats anything on the market. It's good. Try it. You'll like it. Or, as you get older, nothing like steak. Nothing like steak. And God says, spiritually, you need to get to the place where you know how to eat Thai pizza and chicken. How to eat steak. And not just spend your whole life as a Christian on baby food in a baby plate. You need to move beyond that. Because too many of us are still over here. We've not made much progress on moving to this side of the stage. So how do we do that? How do we get over here? 
in, in the Christian realm, what is steak? What, what is Thai pizza? What is, what is moving beyond the baby food? What is that? What does that look like? Well, it's a whole lot more than just studying the Bible. See, one of the mistakes we've made is we, we've, we've told ourselves if we just learn Scripture, the more Scripture we can quote, we're growing. You need to learn Scripture. It is food that feeds you, but that in and of itself is not putting you over here necessarily. Notice what he says in the passage. Let's, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 5 again. He said, milk, not solid food. Look at verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed or acquainted with or experienced at the word of righteousness. For he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice or exercise have their senses trained to discern good from evil. You know what he's saying? Is that this, this Christian food that feeds you and that gets you to maturity, gets you to this side... It's, it's different than the food you start out with because the elementary principles, the basics, he defines them in chapter 6, verse 1. He said, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching, the basics about Christ, let us press on, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. He says one of the basics, baby food in the Christian life is salvation. How a person becomes a Christian. Repentance from sin faith in Jesus. Now listen, this is convicting because how many of us in this room who've been saved for years tell ourselves, I cannot witness? How many of us in this room who've been Christians and going to church for years would say, I would really struggle to take the Bible and open it and, and show someone who was lost how to become a Christian using God's Word? But he says, sharing with someone faith in Christ and repentance from dead works, how someone becomes a Christian, that's the baby food. That's where we start out. That's not where we stay. And then he goes on in verse 2, instructions about washings and laying on of hands, baptism and ordination, the basics of the church. And then he continues in verse 2 to talk about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, the end times and the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection body and that we're all accountable to God and going to be judged. He said those are baby food things. And too many of us get all excited if there's a conference on some of those things. And he says you need to master that stuff and move beyond it because that's the baby food. That's not the mature food. That's not the solid food. You know what the solid food is? It's training in righteousness, he says. Righteousness is is God's standard of what he expects from us. What what what, What is God's standards for priorities in life? What's God's standard for our value system? What is, what is God's righteous standard for how we deal with money? What is God's righteous standard for how we deal with people, how we treat people, how we do life in our families, how we do life at church? Growth, spiritual growth is training in righteousness so that in the life that we live, in the relationships that we experience, 
We know how to do it God's way, not just our way. See, as you start growing, God begins talking to you about the little things in your life that need to get better, that need to be fixed, that need to change. God talks to you about your attitude. God speaks to you about your the way you talk to people or about people. God talks to you about holding on to grudges. God talks to you about little acts of selfishness. God talks to you about those little character issues. That's training in righteousness. And, And you've heard me say this, but let me say it again and explain it one more time. Hopefully you'll get it. Listen. Over the years as a pastor, I've heard people say, oh, that's just how so-and-so is. You know, you've got somebody who's been in the church for 30 years, 40 years, and they've always been a negative, cranky, critical, hard-to-get-along-with person, and, and, and we don't want to make that person mad. So we always just, well, that's how Joe is. That's just how Sue's. That's just how they are. They come to church all the time, and we think because they come to church all the time, they're dedicated, even though they act like a jerk and treat people like a jerk. And what we're forgetting is that true Christian growth means I'm less of a jerk tomorrow than I was yesterday. Training in righteousness means means that I allow God to refine me, to grow me, to change me, to mature me, to develop me in my relationships, my character. And when we just say that's how so-and-so is, we are making an excuse for someone who's been active in church decades still acting like a spiritual baby or a spiritual child or a spiritual teenager. When they need to be a spiritual adult, a spiritual parent, a spiritual grandparent. Growth is all about change. And we have made that sad mistake of thinking that if we just show up at church all the time and if we just go to Sunday school all the time and if we just read the Bible all the time, it means we're growing. Those things matter. They are tools God uses, but they are not equated with growth necessarily. Growth means I'm changing just like people change physically and emotionally as human beings in the spiritual realm I change and become more Christ-like. That's growth. And, and that can't happen outside of relationships. That, that cannot happen outside of life in the real world. Taking the Word of God and exercising it. Just like you exercise your muscles, that's, that's what he's talking about at the end of chapter 5. In verse 14 when he said, who because of practice or exercise have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I exercise my spiritual muscles, the word of God in my life, putting it into practice so that I make God-like decisions. I'm growing. And I got to start over here with the decisions that I'm facing when I'm a spiritual youth. If, if I won't begin making God-like decisions as a spiritual child or a spiritual teenager, I'm never going to reach the point of being a spiritual parent or spiritual grandparent. I've got to exercise the muscles, the spiritual muscles, put the Word of God to practice in my life. I might be 40 years old, I might be 50 years old, but spiritually, Christian growth-wise, I'm a child. But I've got to take where I am and start putting God's Word to work in my life at this place where I am now if I'm ever going to reach a different status in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Is this making any sense? You getting this?
I need another 30 minutes, but I don't have it. Come back next Sunday and you'll get it. You know what God wants us to do? Look at chapter 6, verse 1. He wants us to leave the baby food, the elementary teaching about Christ, and press on to maturity. God, God wants us to have the attitude that I'm going to grow. God wants you to have the attitude that you are going to grow. Some of you are you're dull, spiritually lazy. You're just stuck. You've settled. And God is saying it's time to, to be dissatisfied with where you are, be dissatisfied with just settling, and move forward, press on, grow, move in this direction. And stop making excuses for staying over there. Press on toward maturity. Now, he paints a picture in the next verses of what it looks like to be stunted in your spiritual development. After identifying the elementary principles in verses 1 and 2, he said, verse 4, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. He's talking about Christians, people who have been saved, and then have fallen away. Now, some of you, when you read that word, fallen away, you automatically assume it means to lose your salvation. It doesn't. But for a moment, I'm going to assume that it does. So if you think in this passage to fall away here means to lose your salvation, let's see what he says. Because he says, in the case of those who've been saved and then fall away, if you believe that means to lose your salvation, notice what he continues to say in verse 6. And then if fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Is that not what it says or did I make that up? You got your Bible open? How are you going to learn? You got your Bible open? What does it say? It is impossible, God's Word says, to renew them again. So if to fall away here means to lose your salvation, God says that person can never be saved again. So all the denominations that teach you can be saved, lose your salvation, get saved, lose your salvation, get saved, lose your salvation. If fall away means to lose your salvation, he says here, once you lose it, you can never be saved again because it's impossible for that person to be renewed to repentance again. God's Word, not mine. Why? Would that be impossible for someone to be saved more than once? Because he goes on to say in verse 6, since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put him in open shame. If you're going to be saved two times, three times, five times, Jesus would have had to die on the cross two times, three times, five times. But the Bible says Jesus died one time for all, one time for everyone, one time for all eternity. So if you want to believe fall away here means to lose your salvation, go ahead. But you also have to take the rest of the verse that says if it means losing your salvation, you can never, ever, under any circumstances, ever be saved again. Impossible to renew that person to repentance again. But it's not talking about losing your salvation. What's the context? People who are not growing, not pushing ahead. They're Holding back, staying back, staying put. Not moving, not growing. Want to stay over here in spiritual infancy, spiritual childhood, even though they've been saved long enough to be a parent or a grandparent. 
So the problem is not that you need to get saved. The problem is you need to start growing. And then he uses an analogy, verse 7. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. He's, I'm, a, I'm an old farm boy, so he's using a farming analogy. And he talks about how the rain falls and it falls on the ground and, and the grain produces crops. And, and the crops are useful for the person who owns that ground, who owns that farm, and they receive a blessing. But he goes on in the analogy in verse 8 to say, but if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless, close to being cursed, and ends up being burned. You see, if you're going to grow a garden, you've got to take care of it. And so let's go to the next slide and show them the picture. There's a beautiful garden. There's one where the guy hoes it, takes care of it. There's no weeds in it. That garden's going to have a good harvest, unlike this next one. That's an ugly garden. Weeds are taking over. And that's the picture he's describing here. The rain falls on all the gardens, but some people through their effort take care of it and they get the weeds out and and it produces vegetation and and a harvest and it receives a blessing. But some people are lazy. There are lazy people in life and there are lazy people spiritually. And the lazy ones allow the thorns and thistles, the weeds to grow in their Christian life. And it chokes out the harvest. It chokes out the vegetables. It chokes out the produce. And and they don't get a blessing. Now, let's go to the next slide. Which of those looks better? Which of those is prettier? Well, spiritually speaking, some of you look like the really pretty one. Some of you look like the other one. Which one do you look like? Which one do you look like? Well, what happens to the weedy garden? The lazy Christian's garden. What happens to it? Well, he says in verse 8, if it yields thorns and thistles, weeds, it's worthless. In other words, it doesn't accomplish its purpose. It's useless in the sense that it's not, it doesn't produce much. Close to being cursed, not cursed, but close to being. You know, you're saved, but just barely. Just barely. You haven't added anything to your faith in Christ like we talked about last Sunday. You haven't grown. Ends up being burned. Now, growing up on the farm, sometimes in the fall, we'd, burn the old, we'd, we'd just burn the garden off. Any, any of you ever burned the garden off? You just burn it all. Get rid of everything on it. And the only thing that's left is the soil, the dirt. And then you go out and you work it and you can, you can, you can, you can start a crop. And we're going to look at it in more detail from Corinthians next Sunday. But one of the things, listen, one of the things that God says is as a Christian, God's going to test your works as a Christian. God's going to test your growth. God's going to test your spiritual development. And some of you have got weeds that God's got to burn out of your life. God's going to work to clean up some gardens because growth means we're getting the weeds out of the garden so the garden can produce more fruit, more produce. God's not okay with a weedy garden. He's going to burn it. He's going to judge it. He's going to deal with it. 
And then one of my favorite verses is, is verse 9. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. And let me wrap this up. You know what he's saying? You, you, you may be over here right now on this side while you should be over on the other side. But he said, I still believe in you. I still believe in you. I, I, I see what's possible. You, you can get over here. You, you can be this. I'm convinced of better things concerning you. I'm, I'm convinced of growth. I'm, I'm convinced of better things. Why is it that some people see more potential in you as a Christian than you're willing to see in yourself? The things that accompany salvation, growth, righteousness. Verse 12 so that you will not be sluggish. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Listen, if you're over here not growing, you need to hook up with somebody on this side who's already grown. You you need to hook up with a, a spiritual grandparent who's interested in investing in a younger generation. And I don't just mean age-wise, I mean spiritual-wise. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, if, if you consider yourself on this side as a spiritual grandparent, as a spiritual parent, then that means you are looking back at the teenagers and you're looking back at the kids, not age-wise, but spiritually speaking, and you're saying, who are spiritual teenagers? Who are spiritual young adults? Who are spiritual children that I can invest in and help them get over here? Because it's not just about you. And if you want to know whether or not you're moving toward maturity, it's got nothing to do with whether you're 70 years old or 50 years old. It has to do with what are you doing to help those who are spiritually younger get to be spiritually older. That's Christian growth because you're then investing for the sake of the kingdom of God. Well, I'm already over. Like I said, come back next Sunday. So where are you? You over here with Tom and and Jan? You over here in the middle with these teenagers? Are you over here with these kids? Spiritually speaking, where are you? I didn't ask you how much Bible you know. I asked you, where are you? in Christian growth and transformation and change. And what are you going to do about it? Let's stand. Father in heaven, in these next few moments, as we do business with you, God, I pray that in this room would be many, many, many people for whom today will be a turning point. For whom today will become 
a launching point for a new period of incredible growth in their walk with you. God, get rid of all the pride in this room. All the false pride, get rid of it, God. And by your Holy Spirit, convict and draw and pull and tug. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this song, make your way to this altar and pray, talking with God about your Christian life, your Christian growth. As we sing, come to the front and tell one of these pastors you want to join this church. You've been sitting on the fence long enough, and it's time to make a commitment. As we sing, come, say to one of these men, I'm going to take the next step as a Christian and be baptized. Come and get on your knees and pray. You know what God's asking you to do, so do it. Listen to him. Don't be dull of hearing. Listen to him and obey him right now as we sing together. Change my